Welcome to the Startup Launchpad Podcast. I'm your host, Carl, and in each episode, we are going to unpack key insights, expert advice, and success stories to power up your startup journey. Let's make your entrepreneurial dreams a reality. Good evening, everyone, once again, and welcome to today's conversation. So we're going to be talking about structuring ownership and preparing a cap table for investment in your startup. Um, I think um, through the last few um, conversations, we've been talking about investing in startups, um, what that looks like in 2023 um, from the VC standpoint, from the founder standpoint, and also um, what the outlook is considering the economic um, situation in the world right now. And today we're just going to be diving into structuring ownership and preparing a cap table for investment in your startup. And I think it's going to be a really good discussion um, and I'm really looking forward to it. And we've got some really great speakers here um, joining us today. Of course, the internet is being great, but I'm going to just make introductions. So I'm going to introduce all of them. And then we have Petri and Fumbi here and I'll let them um, just introduce themselves, introduce their companies and what they do. And then we'll get started. And once Benjamin and Gabriel join us, we would um, hear from them as well. All right. So I'll start off with introducing Fumbi. So Oluwa Fumbi Adewoyi is currently an associate with the deals advisory practice at KPMG Nigeria. Uh, KPMG is a global network of professional firms providing audit, tax, and auditory services. He has um, experience at Codros Capital and Sterling Bank in principal investment and investment banking lines of services, where he advised notable transactions, not li limited to mergers and acquisitions, early stage equity investments, competitive bid processes, um, um, contract assets and debt financing. So um, I do know that we're going to get a wealth of information and knowledge from Fumbi. So thanks for um, being with us, Oluwa Fumbi. Great to have you on here. Um, next up, we have Petri. Petri Kajanda is the managing partner at Credentum. Credentum is a company that is passionate about building a better future with growth companies that scale and have a positive impact. He's a serial entrepreneur who builds growth companies and has built a few selected startups at a time. Um, great to have you on here, Petri. Um, let me just also introduce um, Gabriel. And um, so Gabriel, Gabriel will be joining us. Gabriel Ologunwa. Hopefully he'll be joining us, but he's a founding partner at Plumel Advisory. Plumel Advisory is an early stage investment consulting company. Um, with the mission to empower entrepreneurs through high-level networking, knowledge sharing, and granting access to capital to be able to start and successfully grow their companies. So um, we're looking forward to Gabriel joining us. And last but definitely not the least, we have Benjamin Udoku. Benjamin is a venture scout at Young African Catalyst. And Young African Catalyst is a fellowship created to ignite collaboration between Africa's next generation of venture capital leaders. So that's what we have for the call today. And it's great to have all of them, um, to hear from all of them. But right now we have Petri and we have Oluba Fumbi. So I'm going to hand over to, I think I'll kick off with Petri and then we'll go to Oluba Fumbi and just to, for them to like kind of um, say hi to everyone and give us a brief introduction of themselves, more than the bio can do, and also their companies and what they do and their experience. And then we'll dive into the conversation for today. So, um, Petri, yeah, we'll start with you. Yeah, hello, everyone. Um, I'm honored to be here today. 
Uh, well, I'm an entrepreneur. I started my career pretty early. I think I was 18 when I established my first company. And ever since I've been building companies. Um, I keep it short. You can check my profile. You can go to my website. Uh, I have also um, two podcasts. Another one where I'm inter- interviewing uh, startup founders and uh, they're like a deep talks like style of Alex uh, Alex Friedman, for example, the latest episode is uh, with um, Skype's co-founder, Ahti Heinla, who is also the Starship Technologies co-founder. And, and um, then I have another podcast where every Monday morning uh, I'm talking about uh, some tips how to build your company. So I also have a YouTube channel, so there's a lot of content uh, you can check out. Uh, so I will not uh, go into the details, but uh, yeah. Currently what I'm doing is if you check my Twitter profile, you will see iris.to, and that's a really new, well, alternative to, to Twitter and, and uh, other other social media. It just started uh, a few weeks, months ago, really to take off, and uh, I'm actually building one of the clients at the moment. Great, Petri. Thank you so much, and I'm excited to hear from you, um, especially with your wealth of experience. Fresh company at 18, wow. So I'm sure we're going to learn a lot from you and just glean from you. And uh, yeah, so great to have you on. Um, Fumbi, do you want to go? Thank you very much. Um, I'm happy to be here. All right. Uh, I'm currently, just to give you a brief about myself, I currently work with KPMG Nigeria, where I do deal advisory. Um, I help companies. I advise on different types of transactions, uh, particularly M&A, and also do fund advisory um, for businesses that want to raise capital. And prior to this, I was an investment banker, right, and still is anyway. Um, help businesses, public uh, listed companies, uh, private companies to raise money, the private market and the capital market. And um, quite interested in startup at the moment. Um, to help with strategy development, really. Um, I've been working with a number of startups uh, to sort of understand what the strategy is and also work with them regarding fine-tuning their strategy, um, going into the markets, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's that's basically my interest at the moment. And I'm looking to, you know, to also expand my network in this, in this regard and, I'm happy to be here, basically. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Great to hear, have you here as well, Fumbi. And again, I'm sure we'll get a lot from you guys today. All right. So we're going to get started. So like I said before, and thanks for everyone else who is on the call listening. Thank you for being here. Um, so today we have a really interesting conversation. We're going to be talking about structuring ownership and preparing a cap table for investment in your startup. Now, um, like um, Afri- the African ecosystem has over the last few years, the African startup ecosystem over the last few years has really, really grown. Um, starting off in 20, probably 2018, 2019, but 2020 um, was real growth. And then 2021, 2022, I think it just keeps on growing and growing. Um, there is some, there are many different things that happened last year though that have made people, I guess, a bit more wary about, okay, what's going to happen with funding for African startups and everything. But then we really just um, have realized from different conversations that it's really just going back to the basics. Um, this whole 
economic downturn, so to speak, is a good thing. And not only that, for lack of a better way to put it, only the strong survive. So people who are building real products with real solving real problems um, are really going to survive. And so, um, so, but around the conversation of investments, one of the most important things when it comes to investments and looking for investments is making sure that your ownership um, structure is right, however your ownership is structured. And a cap table has a lot to do with that. And um, we have different um, founders at different levels. Some people, some people actually are just very, um, very product oriented, and they don't even know these are all the things I need to know when I'm looking for investment. Many of them are just like, "Oh, I have a great product. I'm looking for investment. I want someone to invest." And so we want to kind of just bring this out there. Like when you are thinking about investment, one of the things you really need to think about is really how to structure your ownership and all of that, and um, preparing a cap table for investment in your startup. And so we're going to have conversations. Um, like that. And so um, today I'm going to just really just like start out really, really simple and then we'll basically build up. So I want to ask, um, and I'll probably start with um, Olu Fumbi, like when it comes to, so in layman's terms for a founder who hasn't, has no idea, okay, what exactly is a cap table? What are you guys talking about? How would you um, break down a cap table for him or her? Thank you very much. So to start with, a cap table is basically um, the shortfall for a capitalization table um, where you want to show um, the level of the investment that is, or capital in a way, uh, that's inside, that's the company, right? Uh, you want to show the, the equity price, right? The share price, the number of shares that each investor is holding and the total sh- uh number of shares that each investor is having in a particular company. So basically, um, you're just showing a table with the number of investors, the type of investor, uh, the share price at which probably they entered into the company, right? And the total um, share of capital that they have in that company. So breaking it down, that's what a cap table is all about. All right. Thank you. Thank you for me. And I think that's just like very... Straight to the point. Um, great. So I'm just going to let Benjamin introduce himself quickly. I did that brief introduction. But hi, Benjamin. Great to have you on. So we just want you to like introduce yourself and your company. And um, yeah, so just we just get to know you before we kind of like pull you into the conversation. So you can go ahead. All right. Um, thank you so much, Pale. And good evening, everyone. It's good to be here. My name is Benjamin. Um, Ridoku, I'm primarily a venture capital scout uh, where I source deal flows across Sub-Saharan Africa, well, the big four markets, right? Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, and SA for quite a number of VC firms. Well, currently scout for over 60 Africa-focused VC firms. Um, and then I've now still, um, I've moved into a role, uh, more like a venture scouting manager for YAC, Young African Catalyst. So we are a community of venture capital players right from associate level upwards where we come together to share opportunities and then collaborate on live deal flows right um so i think that's an overview of what i do and i'm happy to be here all right thank you benjamin and great to have you on all right so i'm going to just move on to the next question so thank you for me for that just like giving us okay what is a cap table this is just a capitalization table and these are the things that are contained in a cap table and what that is. So um, moving on, um, in your opinion, and Petri, I'll start off with you. Um, why is it important? 
why is structuring your ownership right um right very important for early stage startups at the very beginning when they are starting to look for funding in your opinion why is that really really important well it's your company so that's why it's really important but um i would actually like to emphasize that if you can like you mentioned we are in a downturn now so building uh, is the best way to actually grow meaning that you actually take cover not government's money not investors money not anybody else's money but customers money so you're actually building something somebody's willing to to pay and and this is the best way to to actually build a company so you don't actually take anyone else to the cap table so it's yours and whoever you are the other owners there but if you if you need to take some investor money in um, then it's important to to, to consider a few things and uh, i think we're going to discuss this so i'm not going to go too much in detail but the idea that you are not just looking for the next round of financing you have to look through the whole all the steps of the financing so let's say that you're building a growth company and you 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 raise now your first uh, round of funding you will dilute a bit uh, so you have to give the money some of the shares to the investors so you're owning less and uh, you do this a few times so you have to anticipate that what amount of um, ownership you have at the end of the all the funding rounds, uh, because also investors are looking at how much they are going to be diluted. And also, uh, one of the most important things is that you have to look at whether you still have uh, first of all incentives, because before there's an exit event, before you can sell your shares. Um, you, you probably are not going to make too much money, but but you know when you're selling, you it's it's really good if you can own a quite a bit of the company, and this can also happen that at the end of the day you are not owning much, and and this is not really a happy situation. So you want to avoid that type of situation. Um, so the incentives and another thing is control. If you're losing the control of the company, it's not your company anymore. And whenever you're taking outsiders in. Uh, meaning investors or some, some other people who are not uh, the founders and the core team, uh, they start to also have some opinions on how to run the company. So that's just some intro ideas. Um, I love what you said about like the most important thing is really not um, to focus on making sure that you're building based a product that people actually want to pay for. So you're not just depending on to grow this business, I want to just take investors money. You're also thinking about how to make this revenue generating as fast as possible. And then, but then you broke it down into this is why h- having structuring ownership is really important because what we find is a lot of people, especially interested in tech, especially tech focused people just think, oh, someone wants to fund my business. Okay, 80%. And they don't really understand why these things are important. So I think this is a good conversation to have and just bring to light those things so that they know this is why it's important. And it's not just about the funding that you're going to get now. When the real money comes, which um, Petri touched on, is you're going to really make money when you sell those shares, when you grow it into something and sell those shares. And it makes more sense to have more rather than less, depending on what stage you're in. So I think those are some really good points. Um, Benjamin, did you want to add anything to that? Um, or Fumbi, any one of you can go if you want to add anything to that, in your opinion and from your experience. Yeah, so um, I think that some of the reasons why it's important to have a cap table so that just like Petri has said, I might be recording, but um, you need to understand your equity, who was what, and you need to discuss initial equity distributions, um, either between yourselves and your co-founders, 
or maybe initial angel investors, et cetera. And then it's very important for managing employee options, right? So you want to make sure that, okay, um, my capital is well structured so that if, if a new employee is coming on board, um, this is what will accrue to that employee um, over a better period of time. And of course, we're talking fundraising, right? No investor would engage you if you don't have a clear understanding of, of you know, the economics and governance around your cap table, right? This would definitely come during the term sheet negotiation. And some other reasons, right, why it's important is, again, plainly speaking, it provides an easy-to-understand visual of a business ownership structure of who owns what, who has invested, and individuals' levels of investments in the business, right? And, of course, then it helps you track the value of equity and debt investment so that you can stay up to date on the financial, on the financial uh, status of the business. So, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's one core part of the business that cannot be overlooked. It can be very painful having to deal with this on spreadsheets, but <laughs> um, it, is, it is worthwhile. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Benjamin. And I, I, I do love the... Okay, yeah, go ahead, Fumi. I'll, I'll, I'll chip in afterwards. Go ahead. So I'd love to say this, right? Um, in our own space here, in Nigeria particularly, and from my own experience, a number of um, entrepreneurs, especially founders where, you know, they come together, two, three co-founders, you know, trying to create a great product, they get to be a little bit, um, how will I say it now, particular about the shareholding right. Oh, they don't want to dilute too much. Um, they don't want to bring in, they don't want to allow investors, you know, to take over shareholding right, take control of their company. And the beauty of this is, for me, it's about what the type of investor are actually bringing in, right? So you don't want to be too particular about uh, dilution, right? Depending on, depending on what stage you are, because at precede, you can't compare the kind of control you will have when you're doing Series A or when you're doing Series B. So you want to be particular about what value each investor is bringing in and at what valuation, right? Because um, we can talk about control, we can talk about governance, but you know, from a corporate finance point of view and from my own experience is, you know, there are a number of investors that you know they can lock down um, the kind of control they have and also um, the valuation that they are going to be exiting uh, the company, right, which then turn around what kind of um, shareholding or control that they, they'll be, you know, transferring to to new investors that will be coming into the company. So these are the sort of dynamics that, you know, entrepreneurs want to be quite particular about when they're developing, you know, the cap table. All right. Thank you, Fumbi, and thank you, Benjamin. Um, so just like picking back, um, picking off, um, taking off of where like Benjamin talked about, I love the aspect of um, the, just knowing that without this basic understanding, no investor will actually want to fund you. And it's important, a cap table just makes it easy to just have that clear visual of who owns what. And it's something that every, every, any investor can understand and see and actually just understand what they're getting into when they do business with you. And then you also mentioned something important, which has to do with employee options and having a clean, clear, like cap table helps that, that for that transparency and just everybody kind of knowing what that equity distribution is. So that's another good reason you want the investors want to know that you have that clarity on ownership. 
And then um, for me, I think you brought an interesting point, um, which was, um, and I do agree, like a lot of people on this part of the world, I guess they're really interested in like, oh, I need to own, like they want to own more more percentages, so to speak. And um, they are focused only on what is the percentage and what I don't want to be diluted. I want to make sure I have this. But then I love the perspective where you said, like, don't focus on, um, don't be too particular about dilution. Um, because depending on the stage where you're at and what you're raising funds for, that would depend on how much you should be willing to give up. But then also, rather than focusing on being in control, focus on the value that the investors can bring. So I think those are some really, really good points and um, that um, different founders can um, get a get some inspiration from. Um, okay, so um, moving on to my next question. And um, I feel like one of the questions I will have in... Um, what are some mistakes that um, startups make or can make with ownership structuring um, that would raise red flags for investors? So what are those red flags for investors that um, they would see within the structure of a startup that they are looking to fund that would just raise red flags and probably would not allow the deal to come go through? So um, in your perspective and from your experience, what would be your thoughts on that? So Benjamin, I think I'll start with you if you have any. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. So some of the red flags would be some that comes to mind is that uh, if there is no avenue, like if if the founders don't take into consideration the fact that they actually need to set out some percentage, whether 10% or 20% for employee stock option, that would usually raise a red flag for um, for some investors, and um, some something investors like to do these days is what we call signaling. So before an investor comes on board, you would usually want to know who's on your cap table already. So if they come across your data room and then they get to see your cap table, and perhaps they find a VC or maybe an angel that maybe has a poor track record, they could pull out of that deal as well. So um, this is to say that founders need to be very cognizant of who's coming on board. They are captable because it, it might have some level of ripple effect, whether negative or positive in subsequent rounds. Um, another thing to consider is um, percentage ownership. So um, I think it is, it's, it's, it's always good to have the mindset that uh, you can't own 100% of your business. And so trying to, you know, your equity and you know um, not opening up so let's say you want to raise a pre-seed round for example um, you want to let out 20% um, let 20% be 20% and make sure you stick to that and not wanting to maybe raise a pre-seed round and giving out as much as 30-40% now dilution can be very terrible at, at that stage and it will affect subsequent funding rounds as well so yeah um, you need to make room for ESOP uh, you need to be sure of, of, of um, how many percentage you're letting out per round. You need to know who, you, you need to be sure of the integrity of who you're bringing on board. Um, you're captable as well. I'm, I'm, I'll leave it at that and allow for other speakers to you. All right. Thank you, Benjamin. I think those are some really good points. Um, Petri, do you have anything to add to that? If you jump into the shoes of an investor, you basically it's really simple business you you you're buying with a low price and then you hopefully selling with a high price that's what you do so basically what you're looking at is the dilution in in the company as well 
So if the founders, for example, are already diluted quite a lot, so you're actually being selling out a lot of your stock, you might start to think about that they don't have any incentive to actually build a company anymore. And so you actually going to sell your st- uh, stock, uh, your, your shares later on. So you don't you don't believe that uh, they actually will uh, be motivated to build a company. So this is one thing to to keep in mind as well. If you giving too much equity away, you are diluted, and maybe the founding team is diluted so much that you may not um, cannot you cannot convince the investors to to come in because they don't believe you 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 are motivated. That's one point. Another thing is that if you're taking a lot of angels, you're taking a, a lot of uh, investors in, uh, so you have a lot of items in the cap table, but you you don't have a proper shareholders agreement. Um, which actually can cause some problems, for example, that uh, and now I'm going a little bit off to the technicalities, but uh, bear with me. Uh, there are two clauses, for example, uh, Dagalon and Dragalon. Uh, they sound funny, but uh, check them out and Google them and you should know uh, everything about the shareholders agreements uh, because those are really important. So if, if you don't have, for example, those two things, uh, Dragalon and Dagalon, it might be really hard uh, for you to... To, uh, for the investors to exit and, and, and sell the company because uh, depending on, on the jurisdiction where you are, but if, if shareholders have shares um, it, and you, ha- you don't have the shareholders agreement, you cannot make them to sell their shares. And this can be an issue if, if, uh, if investors want to exit and everybody, the, the founders want to exit the company and, and they cannot do it because, well, you don't have a shareholders agreement. Um, then if you have a lot of uh, passive ownership, uh, so meaning that, uh, let's say that there was like three founders, one of them left, but um, he or she still owns like one third of the company. So that's like uh, dead weight in a way in, in the cap table. So it's not uh, the, the, the only the two, two founders are left there. So, so there's a big chunk of the, of the ownership is still uh, in the company, but it's not contributing. So, so that's not good. Um, and... Um, it can also be that if you take some investors in, which the other investors are not considering too good of a choice, because it's not just that uh, there are all types of founders, there are also all, all types of uh, investors. And once you get an investor in, it's really hard to get, uh, get them out of the cap table. So keep that also in mind. All right. Thank you, Patrick. I think um, you raised some really, really good points. Um, all right, so I, I saw... Yes, yes. Okay, okay, I see you. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I was actually going to mention Covenant, to be honest, right? Um, there are some agreements that you see some investors make when they come in. That's when a new investor is coming in, you know, and they are buying them out, for example. Um, some investor might have locked down evaluation that they must be exiting. Now, imagine the the industry or that particular um, space or that ecosystem in which the company is operating does not allow for that kind of valuation, right? It becomes a problem, you know, for investors that want to come in, you know. So I think covenants, when you're making an agreement, right, with a new investor, especially at um, if you're doing something like a simple agreement for future equity, for example, Right, founders need to be very careful in order to not to make um, absurd projections. Right, when they are considering 
um, you know, the Sheldon that a new investor is going to be holding because that would definitely affect um, new investors when they are coming in to say that, okay, you, you've already capped um, the limit at which, you know, the value of the company is at a particular point in time or um, it's not reflecting what um, the market or the industry needs at the time when in the new investor is coming in. So I think convenance, you know, in short, or uh, evaluation cap is a, is a is definitely a red flag when new investors are coming in. All right. Thank you. Thank you for me. I think that's a really, really good point as well. And I think just from um, Benjamin and Petri and Fumbi, I think we have some really, really good points in terms of like, this is what not to do. This is, these are things and red flags that would, can probably like drive investors away. And I think um, there's some really good points. Okay. So I saw Adeyemi, um, I'm not sure. Adeyemi, did you have a question? Um, you wanted to come up to speak, so um, you can go ahead. So I have a question, right? My question is around the um, ESOP, right? So. Let's say, for example, your startup is HQ in Delaware, and um, uh, you, you intend to issue ESOP to employees in various countries where you're doing business. So, let's say, for example, you're doing business in Nigeria. Uh, of course, you register in Nigeria. You have your CAC and you have your um, ownership structure, which of course you file with uh, the Corporate Affairs Commission, right? And you make provision for employee stock option in each country. But um, if, if someone looks at your cap table, your HQ cap table, they are not seeing uh, ESOP. But if they look at your uh, individual uh, country, um, uh, cap table, right? You are going to see, uh, of course, uh, employees stock option. I mean, you're going to see employees with stocks and all of that. So, I don't know if there are any uh, clarity. I've had um, an advice around that sometimes ago, but of course, uh, you have to keep seeking more knowledge uh, as you continue to move, right? So, um, I don't know if. Uh, the learned guys here can chime in on that and uh, drop uh, one or two cents. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Adiyami. So I'm just going to ask for clarity on the question and then I'll open it up to the speaker. So what you're talking about is ESOPs and then you have a HQ, maybe EG, Delaware, and you also are registered in various countries where you have staff, right? And each in each, con each country has their own cap table just because you have different people um, registered there and in those cap tables, the ESOP is there, stock options for employees are there but in your HQ ESOP, it's not there and you're asking does that present a problem or what is the best way to structure it when you have various entities with various staff in various countries? Did I get that right? Absolutely, absolutely. All right, okay, all right, great. All right, so um, Petri, um, Fumbi, Benjamin, do any of you want to take a shot at that? I know Benjamin has talked a bit about employee stock options today. Um, yeah. So any of you want to take a shot at that? And um, for Adiemi? Well, all right, Patrick, yeah, all ahead. right. Well, usually if you're building, uh, let's, let's start it from building the company and, and, and then how it goes. Uh, well, usually you, you have uh, the main company where you're building the most value. Then you can have like a subsidiaries and uh, 
investors are coming into the main company because that's where the value is getting in. Obviously, if you're an employee, at least a smart one, you would like to be in the same company because that's where the, the most value will go. And uh, if that's the, that's the, I, I would build from scratch if you're building basically and, and putting them there, uh, all the all the stocks options. But I do understand that uh, there might be some difficulties with uh, with the legislation and taxation and uh, all these things, but. Looking also from the perspective that it's uh, if we are now like a remote working situation as well, the people are all around the world, uh, but you still want to offer it in a way that it's um, equal to opportunities and also the incentives for everyone. So considering from that perspective, I, I would carefully think that uh, uh, what is the best structure in, in place. Uh, because if you... If you're putting the stock options, the incentives in uh, some subsidiary in, in some particular country, uh, then obviously the value, whichever is only built to that entity, is going to be uh, included for, for those uh, incentives. And, uh, and that may not be exactly the, the total amount which is in, in the headquarters and the main, main company. So usually I, I would prefer to keep things simple. Um, and uh, in that sense, if you have to have like one place where you're putting all the incentives, that, that's usually the best. But um, there are also local legislation and uh, stock options especially can be really tricky because sometimes you need to uh, pay the taxes before you get anything. And it might be that at the end of the day, you are not actually, as an employee, getting any any anything out of exactly the tax bill. And uh, that's obviously the worst situation as well. Thank you, Pedro, for that. Um, from being um, Benjamin, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, um, I think pressure has really laid the foundations, right? Um, I would sort of solicit feedbacks or um, advice from lawyers as to how you can consolidate, right? If I were the founder, um, having to bring on board other employees or employees scattered across various geographies into the, you know, primary cap table, maybe the one re- registered with the Delaware Corp. So that there are no discrepancies, right? And uh, any investor coming on board can see clearly um, how how their stock option operates and, and who's who's on board. Yeah. So the 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 um, the onus of this would be to see how we can consolidate all of that, even with the various regulations. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Benjamin. So Adiyami, I hope that helps. Um, I think um, Petri and Benjamin um, said a lot. Um, keep it simple as much as possible. It's preferable for everyone to be on the same, um, on the primary um, head, headquartered company, the primary company. But then there are all these different factors. And I do think um, the advice Benjamin gave, just talking to a lawyer that understands your specific situation, um, a startup lawyer preferably, one that is very used to the space, would make a lot of difference and all. Um, Fumbi, I see you want to maybe chip in. Yeah, so right, I just wanted, I just wanted to make mention of something to say that really, um, they've answered the question, but subsequently for founders that might be on the call, honestly, you don't want to put yourself in such a position or in such a condition where you you're thinking of so many factors, you know. Um, so just, you just want to keep it simple, really. You don't want to be thinking of um you know, stock options, how are your um, operations going to be merged together? You know, you just have a standard of operation or a procedure where 
everybody or every part of the operation, even if you know it's remote, where some are working on the technical bit, um, some guys are working on the products in different areas or different parts of the world. They don't have to be too uh, discrepancies. Don't have to be too clear cut for this kind of situation to actually occur. So yeah, that's it. All right. Thank you so much, Fumbian. So Adiyame, I hope that helps. Um, I hope that helps at least give some a bit of clarity in terms of like what is preferred and then or what is like advice, just keeping it simple. But then I think um, talking to a startup lawyer used to the startup space and um, structuring and all would be really, really helpful. And if you need like a contact or like a referral, we could give you some of that. So you could just like DM us at Startup Launch Code and we could point you in the right direction for sure. All right. Thank you. All right. So I see someone else has a question. Okay, guys, um, if you have questions, now is a great time to kind of like um, chip in um, for the speakers before we kind of wrap up, uh, kind of like winding down. Um, so I see we have Deliman um, with a question. Um, so you can go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so I'm not too sure I understand uh, Adiemi's concerns. Um, and I know we've spoken about... Um, you know, um, engaging um, legal guys um, to help uh, give clarity to this. My understanding is that you form a company and if it's headquartered uh, in Delaware, then that's the company basically. And uh, that's where the value is, as uh, Petrus said. Um, if you have um, subsidiaries or entities in other countries, um, and the employees in those, um, you know, um, other environments um, will qualify under the ESOP. I'm not sure you want to create another cap table within those other geographical locations because there's really one company, basically, and that's the headquartered company. And that's the cap table that you're showing to investors. And that's the cap table that should reflect the uh, ESOP, basically. Um, and whatever you show on that cap table, it's up to you to then say that uh, that ESOP, whether it's 1%, it's 10%, covers all the employees of the company wherever they uh, are located, including those who are even working um, remotely. Maybe they are not even physically in an office somewhere. So um, I'm making these comments because uh, it's my first time of uh, hearing that you will have a headquartered company uh, and you are inviting investors to that company, and you have a cap table, and there is an ESOP on that cap table, and then you have to worry about uh, local ESOPs. That's the sense I get from what um, Adiemi is saying. And I'm saying um, it's alien to me personally. Um, uh, uh, maybe when you talk to lawyers, they can give perspective to that. But I really think that it's the headquartered company that is out there that is trying to talk to investors, and, that is, and these investors are also looking at the captive. That's my point, basically. Thank you so much for weighing in. I Thank you so much for weighing in on that. I think that was, at least that would be helpful to Adiemi and actually guide him in um, what he needs to do next. Um, yeah, so thank you. Um, all right. So I think um, I have one final question for the speakers. And just in case anybody else has questions, um, you can just like indicate. I have one final question for the speakers. So, one of the things we alluded to was just in terms of like, um, in spite of the um, economic um, downturn and the economic condition, so to speak, or recession, however you want to t 
talk about it, there is still going to be a lot of investment coming into Africa. Investors are still looking for viable opportunities to invest in. And so that opportunity is still there. Um, my question would be, what advice from your experience across board? So we'll just go one after the other. Do you have for startup founders, whether it's their most of, mostly people who are first time um, seeking investments for the first time, what would be one or two pieces of advice you have for them as they are venturing into um, engaging investors and talking to them, whether it's around structuring ownership or whether it's in general, what are some tips that you have for founders as they go along this journey? So um, Fumbi, I'll start with you, then I'll go to Petri, then Benjamin. Oh, Benjamin is ready to kick off. So Benjamin, you can go ahead. <laughs> okay. Fumbi, we'll take you up. Okay, Fumbi, go ahead. No problem. Anybody's fine. Go ahead, Okay. Fumbi. So for me, it has to be your valuation, right? Um, you're a founder. You're thinking of raising funds at the moment. It has to be your valuation. Um, look at your market. Understand your market. Um, I've been in the situation where founders are using uh, multiples from from the US, right? And they're applying it to Nigeria. To be very honest, um, we just shut it down, right? And what we did to be to be quite accommodative, right, um, in raising that particular fund for that startup was to apply a discount, right? Um, just putting into perspective that Nigeria is an emerging market. Um, you cannot use a, a, a key valuation multiple that is applicable to the US or quite you know developed market. So you want to understand you want to understand your industry first. And when if if you're duplicating a product um, in Africa, in Nigeria, you want to be quite conservative. Um, that's if you're raising funds from from this space, for example, right? And if you're raising funds from you know foreign foreign investors, Right, you want to also understand what, um, how fit they have for the kind of business they are trying to do, or the kind of products that um, you're raising the pro uh, the funds for, in a way where, you know, their experience, um, the strategic fit that they have, their experience in that particular industry, if they if they do have, you know, what are they going to be bringing to the table, just more than the funds. You know, we're talking about capital, but it goes way beyond you know, the funds that the investor wants to bring into your company. So you want to consider the experience that they have in that particular industry, um, you know, the kind of advice, the kind of um, link or um, value that you also want, that they would definitely bring to the table when they come on board into, you know, into your company as an investor. So those are like the key things that I want to just speak about quickly, you know, as advice to founders that are looking to raise money, especially in Nigeria or, you know, within the emerging market space. All right. Thank you so much, Fumbi. Thank you for that. Um, Petri? Yeah. So if you're a first-time founder, you haven't raised funds from investors, um, find someone who has done that. Don't do it alone because the devil is in the details. So, so, there's so many things, it's not complicated, but uh, those... Um, that the investment you take in, the investors you take in, they have a long-term consequences. It's probably one of the biggest things you can do in a negative way if, if things are not going right. So don't do it alone. Uh, take some advice from the uh, other, other founders who already have done it. Um, at this market, 
um, we are now in a downturn. So I would recommend to do, uh, it's, in, it's actually my website as well called uh, Continuous Fundraising. So you don't do just one big round because it takes a lot of time and you have to gather all the investors together. But you actually do with like a continuous, like a snacking all the time. And, and you, you can do that um, even without diluting yourself too much. So that's that's something to keep in mind. And, and the final piece of advice is it's better to be alone without the investor than take a not good investor with you. All right. Thank you so much, Petri. I think that's great. Um, I think those are some really great points. And then um, Benjamin. Yeah. Yeah, um, my internet sort of froze out a bit earlier, but uh, could you quickly recap on the question? Oh, okay. All right. So it's just last minute. Any tips for founders at this time who are kind of looking to raise funds around this time, especially first time um, founders who are raising for the first time? What are some things that they really need to look out for? So this can be around structuring and cap tables, or it can be just in general. What are some of the things that you would advise if founder looking for investments for the first time to take note of? First time founders looking to fundraise, a couple of advice, right? Uh, so we've really touched on how you need to keep it very... The cap table is something that usually you find in your data room as a... So we data from operations to team to cap table to financials to markets, research, etc. So as a first time founder, even before you begin reaching out to investors, you want to have your data room neatly set up already. Now, what data does is that it helps investors sort of streamline and makes their due diligence process a lot seamless, right? So perhaps an investor is interested in speaking with you, they'll go ahead to request for, for your data room. So you want to respond to that as promptly as can be so that, you know, they can look into your opportunities, bearing in mind that these same investors are also looking at multiple um, opportunities as well, and time is always not on their side. So you want to make sure you're fully prepared when it comes to setting up your data room, and then you're you're good to go. And then as a founder trying to fundraise in the current market landscape, I'll say for sure that um, it, you should really conduct your own due diligence on investors to know for sure who is funding what right now. So again, we can have a lot of investors jumping on calls with founders and Quite frankly, some of them are not even funding startups at the moment, right? Perhaps some of them are looking to learn about a particular market or some of them are, you know, um, just looking to build their pipeline. So you want to make sure, you want to know who is really funding startups at the moment and, you know, prioritize that list of investors that are currently fundraising. And of course, you want to know about their thesis as well, right? The stage, sector, geography that these investors are investing in so that you can also you know, save time, your time and their time as well. Um, it's very important. We have a lot of founders reaching out to investors that are, you know, totally misfits, right? They are, they are, they are much in any way possible. Um, related to this is the fact that you want to keep raising in that sense, right? Um, because again, we're living in times where funding is, I mean, the funding landscape is totally unprecedented and totally unpredictable. We can't tell for sure where the market will be in the next 12 to 24 months. So if you find yourself in a place where you've built up some level of momentum, perhaps you can raise your precedent. If, you, if, if you're in a good place, you can maybe look to launch a precedent extension, say, in the next 6 to 12 months. Again, you don't want to raise blindly. You want to make sure that there's a need for the funding 
right? You're, you're, you're raising because you actually need the money to scale and to build out your solution, not because there's money on the table, right? And that's, some, that's something some founders fall for. They just raise because, you know, hey, um, investor X is interested in me, so why not? Let's take the money. No, you want to make sure that there's a need for that money before you take it. But yeah, always build momentum around your business. Build up interest around your business. Have an investor um, um, investor update list where you share regular progress with your network of investors on a regular basis. It's very critical in terms of building up momentum up until when you want to raise or you know, want to add some more investors to your cap table. Um, so yeah, I think I'd, I'd leave it at that for now. Yeah. Right. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Those are some really good points as well. And I'm sure like those listening would get like have gotten a ton of value. So thank you so much, Benjamin. Thank you, Petri. Thank you, Fumbi, for today and for just sharing with us. Um, guys, definitely connect with the speakers. Um, Petri told us earlier about his podcast, two of them, and also his YouTube channel. Definitely check that out. Go to his profile, connect with him, go to connect with Fumbi, connect with Benjamin. And I'm sure they'll be open to like take questions um, from you guys if need be. And thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for a great um, conversation. And um, yeah, we'll see you next time in our next conversation. Thank you guys and have a great rest of the evening. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. If you found value in today's episode, you can find more at gotlaunchpad.com. Stay inspired, stay innovative, and keep building those dreams. Until next time, bye.